like to welcome each one here this morning. I was going to make a comment, but then nobody sat in our amen quarters. But last Sunday, when Kevin was sharing, I didn't hear any amens out of the amen corner, so I was going to encourage him, but I guess nobody's there this morning. <clears throat> in the process of maybe having some more free time, I did some more reading, and and we do hear a lot of things from church people, pastors that maybe aren't totally accurate, so maybe you're going to think, well, I'm not totally accurate myself, but I wanted to share Revelations chapter 19 and share what I think, and I'm, it's exciting to me you know that last song that Nathan led, a dwelling place where I'm going to dwell with him forever and ever. It's, it's exciting to think that the world around us and all the chaos and everything to realize that I'm going to go and live with him forever. In Revelations chapter 19, I want to start with verse 5 and read five verses. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and he that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, when we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, what comes to your mind? I know, and how we view, that's why I say probably among us there are some that view the end, how it all comes to an end differently. But we do know there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And so in the process of this, at the end, maybe I'll say when that will be. Um, so we see that there's a lamb, and we know that from what John the Baptist said, and then there's a lot of verses say, Behold the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. So we see that the lamb is Christ, and then we see the bride who is the bride of Christ? It's the church. And we have many scriptures backing that up. 
that the church is the bride of Christ. So I want to go to Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus in many different ways tried to explain to the disciples and others um, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. You know, and how do you describe the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus in this parable here described how it's going to be as far as the king as being God, the son being Jesus, and and then God making a marriage for his son. So I want to read the um, first 14 verses of Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which make a marriage for his son. He sent forth his servants to call them that they were bidden to, to the wedding, bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are, are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he went forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as they shall find, bid to the marriage. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came to his, in to see his guests, he saw there a man which he had not on the wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servant, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So we see the king here as being God, and his son, which we know that the son of God is the um, is Christ, and we see that God is making a wedding for his, or a marriage for his son. What I see here is he's relating his kingdom in 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 this parable of how it it really is, and I see the marriage to, of his son as being the marriage supper of the lamb, or the or the wedding of his bride. Marriage signifies his gospel. So as you, as we know as married, marriage today, it's kind of a type of how it's going to be with 
his with Christ and his bride. And he refers kind of to that. But the, we see here in this parable that the marriage supper, the marriage feast was ready. The wedding was, was happening. The guests were invited, and we know who the guests were. They were the Jews because the Jews were the chosen, the chosen one of God, the chosen people. They were invited, but they refused to come. So then God said, well, then go into the highways and byways and bring them in. And that's where we come in, in this um, marriage, wedding, feast, is we're Gentiles and we come in and are now part of the wedding. And then he says, of course, we have to wear the wedding garments, in which we read back in Revelations 19, that the wedding garment is the righteousness, clothed in righteousness. So I would like to go to Matthew 16. Okay, since we've been, um, we have been invited, the, um, we, since the Jews rejected him, we had the opportunity to come to him. So in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The invitation has been extended. The church has been started. And what what was the church? What was Peter? What was he saying here upon this rock? And I think it was on the confession of the knowledge that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the Living God. And that's that's the foundation. That's the rock that the church was built on. And that's what we're part of, because we believe that Jesus is the Christ and He is the Son of the Living God. And in that, we confess ourselves to him and accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. And now I want to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is referring again to a wedding. But if you look at some of these verses real close, I guess there's some ideas came out that I just never thought of before. You know, lots of times we use these verses in weddings. Jesus, again, using the relationship of of marriage into the relationship of Christ and the church. So let's not forget that as I read through here. I want to start with verse 23. Of course, again, he's talking about wives and husbands here. And then verse 23, it says, And the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So we see that the marriage um, structure in this, as, and we can visualize it as the husband is in, over the wife, so is Christ at the head of, of the, the church. In... Um, let me start over. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so because the church is subject to Christ as a wife to Christ, so ought wives to be to their own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wife, live. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So, with that structure, as Christ loved the church, loves his church, we show that example of loving our wives. And I thought about um, going into how do we love our wives because I don't hear a lot of messages on that. We hear a lot of what the wives should do, but of loving loving your wife and as Christ and how that all works out. But anyways, um, husbands, love your wife even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, cleanse it with the washing of the water by word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. And I don't know how many of us look at our wives as wanting to present, help them to present themselves pure before you. Because he says in verse 28, So men ought to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And then, I I almost have to finish it before I can expound on that verse there. For no man yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as Christ, or the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined together, and they too shall be one, one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So as I was meditating on that, I was thinking, we love, we love our flesh. What is our flesh? Our flesh is us. I love. But do we realize that when we become married, we become one flesh. So that wife becomes part of, part of me. So I love myself. And in loving myself, it also, I'm loving my wife at the same time. Because we can't separate the two because we have become one flesh. And he says, for this cause... Because of the, the, of loving your body and loving your wife at the same time, because you become, for we are members of his body, he's referring to the church, but we are the member of his body, our wives become the men, uh, members of our bodies, and therefore we should love ourselves. And then he says, for this cause shall a 
man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So because of you coming together like this, we are to separate ourselves and start our own home. For this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what he's saying here, this, you know, we, we know the, we talk about it's a mystery of how you can bring two together, but it's a mystery of how Christ and the church relate because the church is made up of thousands of people, millions and billions of people. And so Christ is getting a bride, or he's, we can say maybe the, the bride is being a, a group of people, and he is marrying them. And yeah, it, it is a mystery, but the whole idea that we, because we are in the bride of Christ, we become of one flesh to him. And you say, well, has it happened yet? Yes, it has already happened, and I want to get to that here later on, because we haven't had the marriage in a sense. We haven't had our wedding, but yet we have. And, yeah, I want to talk about that here in a little bit. But the oneness of the spirit of the body of, of Christ, and I think that is so important for us to, to grasp the... You know, so often we we confuse the bride with the church. And yes, the bride is the church, but the bride is the church of is his bride. The church is his bride. It's not just Salem that's gonna be there, it's not just um, all the churches in the area, but it's everybody that is in that group. So yeah, we have a, a small faction of, of this bride and you know other places are worshiping and fellowshipping together in like fashion as as Christ was. I want to go to first Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twenty-seven and trying to get the idea across of the one body. Whoops. I'm in the wrong book. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And if we look at the particular, it's the specific part. So all of us are in this body. And now we get the idea there's one body. There's... A man and a wife, they have become one. Can you separate the two? You would say, well, no. I mean, they do, but there's a lot of pain that comes in separation. But God said you can't. You can't separate the two without a lot of hurts and pains and so on. And it's the same way with being in the body of Christ. How do we react when people leave? You know, we're, we're one unit, and you take one member out. What, as a body of Christians, how should we respond? Should we just say, oh, well, it's just a foot. It's, it's no need. Or I lose a finger. It's just a finger, no need. Well, with our bodies, we've, we can see 
that there's a, a sort of a distraction in life when we are missing an arm or missing a leg or missing something about it. Well, that same concept in the body is in the church also. We have many people in particular. Many people have their gifts, their, their, what they're asked to do or what we can do in our part. But all of us are part of the body. So if one person leaves, it's not just, oh, well, I feel sorry for him and life goes on. But yet I feel that maybe that's how we feel. There's no tearing away. And maybe since there is no tearing away, there is no one spirit. I think with the bride of Christ, you're going to have that one spirit. And when someone leaves the church, there should be great weeping. There should be a time of mourning. There should be a time of fasting and prayer for that person. But so often we say, oh, sorry for him, and, and life goes on. And I think we can see among us people who are falling away from the faith, not from a church, but from the faith, choosing to go against what God has asked us to do. Uh, Romans 12, verse 4 and 5, kind of gives the same idea. For we, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one another. So we're all intertwined together. And I say the reason we can be that way is because we serve the one God. And it's, it's sad and confusing to the world when we have so many people who push their agendas and their ideas and over Scripture. And because of that, um, we don't give that oneness of spirit as being part of the body of Christ. In Matthew 9, verse uh, 15, it kind of gives the... Um, And this is where I want to start transitioning into where the church, as far as when we're married and, and so on. Matthew 9, verse 15, it says, And the church said unto him, Can the bride, can the children of the bride chambers mourn, as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. And do you get the picture of here? They were talking about why, why don't you ask them to fast and others are fasting. And, and Jesus says, when the bride is here, when the bridegroom is here, why do you need to mourn? You know, when with uh, my wife and I being separated, you know, when we become engaged and we would get together, you know, there was, there was no need to mourn because she was there. And in the same way with Christ. When Christ was here, they didn't need to fast. But now that he has gone, they need to fast. So let's look at 
the marriage and how it relates to Christ and his church. And probably the best way to go is to look at a Jewish wedding. And lots of times Jesus used illustrations to say how the kingdom of heaven is. And I think he, the Jewish follow a good trend of, of, of Christ's engagement with the church. In a Jewish wedding in the Galilee area, the father would take his son to the, girl, to the father of a girl. So, you know, we, we've heard the story of Samson and going to his father and say, go get her. Well, that, that was part of the, what they did, is they would, the father would say, okay, so he would take his son and go, and they would work out a, a deal. But when they came to the father to get her, the father of the bride, the father had to read a, a covenant with the father's, with the bride's father and say how my son is going to take care of your daughter and they worked out a price and so on. But in this covenant, lots of times they would explain to the, the father, the bride's father, how he was going to take care of her. And they would make a covenant with her. And then Jesus would, or Jesus, then the groom, I'm going to get my brides and bridegrooms here mixed up. But then the groom, then after the covenant, he would take a, a cup of wine and then he would offer it to her and say, will you accept? And then she had the opportunity to drink. And once she drank, she was saying, I accept your, this. I'll be your, your wife. And then the guy would take the cup back and wouldn't drink from it. And he was not to drink until the wedding feast. And then he would drink of that cup. And that's exactly a good illustration of what Jesus did for us. And I want to go to the communion service that Jesus had there. And I think I'll turn to Mark. There's several places. Now what I'm doing is reading a few verses but if you would actually go through the Bible, you would get a lot of what I'm going to say. You'd find a lot of scriptures to support the idea. So I'm going to go to Mark chapter 14, verse 23 and 26. Now they knew how the weddings took place. So when Jesus did this, they didn't ask questions. They realized of what was taking place here. He took the cup, okay, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So he had just been with them. He had made his commitment to them. 
he had shared with them of his life. And then he says, will you marry me? Will you take me as your husband? And he has given us the opportunity for us to, to marry into that. And, and we have done that. You know, we have accepted Christ as our Savior. We're part of the bride of Christ. We took of the cup. And we have a, a couple times a year, we give the opportunity of remembrance of this for us to remember that. But then Jesus uh, didn't drink of the cup until that day in his kingdom when there be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And thinking of of the Jewish, going along with the Jewish customs, the father then would give a gift to the bride's father. And uh, like a dowry or something. And then the bridegroom would give a gift to, to the bride. And I thought it was interesting that a lot of times the the fathers would, what they received for their daughter would actually give part of it back to their, to their daughters to help them through the time of getting pre- prepared. But anyways, Ephesians 2 verse 8, he then gives a gift. God gave a gift. And says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So God is giving them a gift of grace. And how, how we need it. But it's just not giving grace, but it's through faith, through believing on him that you receive this grace. And then in First Peter chapter 1, We read um, of how the bridegroom then gave his gift. He purchased his bride. First Peter 1, 18 and verse 19, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, for your vain conversations are received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So Jesus saying, I redeem you, and I redeemed you with my blood. That's why he can say that he gave his life for the church. It's because he redeemed, he purchased you. In First Corinthians, you can say, read the same thing in 6 of being bought with a price. Then the groom then would leave to go to heaven. Or, I get myself. The groom then would leave his bride and go prepare a house for her. So I don't know how much time they spent courting through that time. I just don't know. It probably depends on how far apart, what village and stuff he lived in. But he would go, and Jesus did the same thing here with chapter John. Uh, yeah, John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. 
He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus has gone to prepare his house, to bring his bride to at the right time. The gauge was period for a Jewish couple was... Probably varies now differently, but back in the Galilean time, it was a, a, about a year, or, or whenever the father felt like it was time for, or that his son was ready. And that's what the father would do. He would observe his son through this time, and he would, his, of course, the excitement's in the air, and he's starting to build his house, but does he continue with this? Is his excitement still there? But the, the father would watch, and then when he felt it was time, he would say, okay, son, you can go get your bride. And usually at midnight, he would wake up his son, or sometime during the night, and said, it was ready, you're ready, go get your bride. And I often wondered, what does a bride do why he's working away. Well, if you go to Titus chapter 2, and I, again, I just picked out some verses, but there's a lot of verses that kind of gives you an idea of what you should be doing as you're waiting for your bridegroom to come. Uh, if you read in a, another part of the scripture, it says, Occupy till I come. In other words, do what is required, and lots of times only the ladies would know what it takes to go through preparing for a wedding. But here it says, uh, Titus two eleven to thirteen, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation unto hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I can only imagine what it was like for the bride to, you know, all of a sudden he's going to appear. And no doubt she had friends maybe watching, I don't know, but... When it was getting close, she would actually sleep with her clothes on, her bride dress. Because at the call of, of whenever the, the husbands uh, would call, she had to be ready. And she had to have her wedding clothes. And lots of times she would go to bed and sleep with that in her attendance and so on. So at night, unknown to the son and unknown to the bride, and I think Matthew 24 explains so well when Jesus says, I don't know when the time will come. Now, I don't know. The angels do not know. But God knows. And when God feels like it's ready, now's the time. He's going to tell Jesus, go, go get your bride. And the bridegroom would arise after he's, and there would be a blowing of trumpets, and they would be like a procession headed for 
the bride's house with excitement and with great joy. And uh, I'm sure at the sound of the the sound of the trumpets and the sound of the the noise coming, I'm sure there was a joyful night, even though you got woke up from your sleep. In First Thessalonians, this is after God told Jesus to go get your bride. He says, First Thessalonians four sixteen and seventeen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I think this ushers us in to the marriage feast where Jesus will now share the cup, his cup with us, with, a, with his bride. And there will be a marriage feast as, if you read in Revelations, of the terrible, the terrible seven years. Um, there will be deception, there will be peace at times, but then God's wrath will be upon the earth. And then the end, us coming back. But... Um, I guess I was challenged with the idea that I'm in the engagement period. Have I been preparing myself for this trump, this Christ coming back for his bride? Have I prepared myself? Do I have my oil in my lamps? Do I have my wedding garments on? You know, if probably a week after the engagement, probably didn't, she wouldn't have had her dress ready or so on. But, you know, we, we don't know. And nobody knows when Christ, when Christ can receive his bride. But when God says you can go get her, are, are we ready? Would we be ready? Would we have our wedding garments on? And it's not our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of God. So are you listening for the sound of the trumpet? And I know there's a lot of speculation. A lot of people have their views of the end, which is good. I mean, but the marriage supper of the Lamb will happen. Are you ready for that?